order of our books in our Old Testament are not written to us in the order in which they happen. And so in order to understand the story from beginning to end, that's what this has been all about. Because for us to know what this part means, we have to know what the whole story is all about. And so we've been studying it together. If you're not on Slack, I've been putting some extra resources on there to try to help with that, to supplement that, and those are always on there. And so I want to encourage you to do that. But the scripture was always intended to be studied together from the beginning. In fact, in the New Testament, when they, had, when they referenced the scripture, really what they're referencing is the Old Testament. They're not referencing the New because it really hadn't been put together and circulated yet. Um, that took place later. And they didn't have copies. I mean, Jewish people did not have copies of the Torah in their house that they just unrolled and studied. If you wanted to study it, you went to the synagogue. If you wanted to memorize it, you went together and you wrestled with it, you studied it. And sometimes we get away from that and we just want to study it, but God actually gave it to us in community. And community is a big thing to God because he's a communal God. He is one God existing in three persons. By himself, he is a community. And he didn't create us because he was lonely and he needed us. He created us because he wanted us. And he wanted us to experience that same community with him and with each other. And something is missing when we don't buy into his message of community that he's been telling all along. So last week, we read the book of Hebrews together, and we read one Page 161 and 162. Now, for the next two weeks, because next week we're, we're going to come out of the series again for one week. Um, so you have two weeks to read page 162 and 163 in the book of Titus. But I'm also requesting that we reread the book of Hebrews. Because Hebrews is, is a big book. And there's a lot of good stuff in it. In fact, if you get our text messages, I sent you a link to join us this week on YouVersion, the Bible app, to read together a Bible study called Better Together. A look at the book of Hebrews and how things are better together. And oddly, I chose that as my title today. Hebrews, Better Together. Now, the author of the book of Hebrews, we don't know because they didn't sign it. For a number of years, everyone just assumed it was Paul because he wrote so many books. But most scholars today know that this isn't Paul's style. It's very Greek. Paul was not Greek. He was very Hebrew. <laughs> He's the Hebrew of Hebrews, we learned when we did Philippians. And so they don't agree that Paul was the author. Now, they agree that somehow this person has connection with Paul because there's so much language that refers to Paul and Paul's ministry and Paul's friendships that we're assuming maybe Barnabas, maybe Silas, maybe Apollos, I believe maybe Priscilla because Priscilla was very educated in the Greek way. Priscilla would not have signed her name because if this letter is gonna be circulated, it would not carry a level of authority if it was a female. What we don't understand is Jesus addressed this in his ministry. Many times women were not allowed, in fact, most all the time, to study at the feet of a rabbi. Sitting at the feet of a rabbi means to be his disciple. When Jesus comes along, we take the interaction between Mary and Martha, and we're all about like, oh, don't get distracted uh, by all of the busyness of your life, but just sit at the feet of Jesus. And that's true, but what we miss is Jesus is saying Mary's sitting at his feet. Mary's his disciple, and that's not going to be taken away from her. What we miss is, bam, Jesus has just culturally said something that they don't know what to do with because women were not allowed to sit at the feet of a rabbi. But Jesus opens the door for Mary to and for many women who followed him. In fact, if you remember, it were women that didn't leave him at the cross. I mean, John was there and women. It were women that went to the tomb first. It were women that were actually the first evangelists when Jesus said, go tell my disciples. So women play a very important role, but some of the interpretation of the Torah has made them feel like uh, women maybe shouldn't have a role. 
And Jesus comes not to abolish Torah, but to fulfill it and to show them it may not be what you think. The one argument that people have against whether or not Priscilla wrote this is there's a masculine noun that is used in the conclusion. Let me tell you, if Priscilla would be smart enough to not write her name, she's also smart enough to not use a feminine noun to describe herself because it would also do the exact same thing. Because this letter is written to a specific audience. We don't know who it is, but we know they're Hebrew. We know they're Jewish. We know they know a lot about the scriptures. We know that they are worried about the temple and the sacrifices in the temple for some reason. And Priscilla has a relationship, or the author, I'll probably say Priscilla and she, don't get hung up on it. It could be a he, it could be anybody else, I don't know, but just don't get hung up on what I say, uh, as far as pronoun. The author has a relationship with who they're writing to, but this letter is going to be circulated among all of the churches, and those churches may not have the same relationship with this person. And so the author is going to make sure that this message is able to be circulated because the message of the letter is basically this. Jesus is the better everything. He's the better everything. I mean, that's it in a nutshell. And the, the, the overwhelming, this is written for one reason, persevere, persevere. Jesus is the better everything, so don't give up persevere. And it's written to a group of believers who are, are falling away. We don't know exactly why they're falling away, but we know that they're facing hardship. We know some of them have been killed or in prison. We know that some of their friends have been killed or in prison. We know that they have faced some type of a robbery, some stealing, some, the, some of their businesses or their livelihoods have been taken away. They are in the midst of hardship. And for some reason, it might be easier to just step back and say, I don't know that I want to press into this because because it's hard. And so that's why this letter's being written. They could have lost heart, okay? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Because for the Jew, they believed originally that when the Messiah came, he would overthrow the Roman occupation and set them free. What they had to wrestle with is when Jesus came, he didn't do that. So then they had to wrestle with, okay, that's not what he was going to do the first time. Oh, but he's coming back. And every single one of them believed that in their lifetime, he would return. But guess what? Every passing year, when it gets harder and harder, it's easier to say, maybe we're missing this. Maybe he's not coming back. And the author of Hebrews is like, do not lose heart. You have to keep persevering. This is the better way. Now, we also know at some point the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed. And the, this faith that we've been talking about, we have come into a Jewish church, okay? We believe that Christians separated from Judaism. They did not. And I hope as we've gone through this, you see that the church actually was brought into the Jewish faith, but we were not to be circumcised. We were not to be bound to the Torah in the same way that Jews were. But the Jews didn't stop believing in Torah. They didn't stop offering sacrifices. They didn't stop doing the feasts. They didn't stop following who they were because for them, the, the law was not given. The Torah was not given to them so that they could be made right with God. It was given to them because they were made right with God. When they came to Mount Sinai, it was a wedding ceremony. It was a covenant between me and God. And God is saying, you are my people and I am your God. And here are our wedding vows. And so for them, they're like, these are our wedding vows. And I want to honor those vows by being very obedient to those vows and recognizing we can't live up to it. We need the sacrifices in the temple because I fail regularly. And those sacrifices are a covering for my sin, for my mistakes. So if those sacrifices go away, what do I do? Because I know I can't keep my vows best. And I know, and I want to. And so the writer of Hebrews, I believe the temple's already been destroyed and these Jews don't know what to do. How do I, what do I do? And, and this letter is a whole sermon about how Jesus once and for all was the sacrifice for sin. You don't need a temple to be Jewish. You don't need a temple to be a follower of Jesus. You are the temple. 
And so you can continue to be faithful to what you know without that physical temple. That's what this is all about. And interestingly, this short exhortation in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 22, look at what they write. Brothers and sisters, <laughs> I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact, I have written to you quite briefly. <laughs> Gotta love that, because I don't know how long it would take to read Hebrews out loud, but that's what it was intended to be. It was intended to be a homily. That word exhortation is literally what we would call the sermon, what I'm doing right now. This was to be read to the Jewish people in its entirety as a sermon. I was tempted to do it, but the problem for us is we don't know enough about the, the scripture and about the Jewish faith to make sense of all of it, so I knew I couldn't just read it like that and have us get it in that context. So as tempted as I was to do it that way, uh, I didn't. But what we do know is this sermon, this homily, was read every year by the Jewish Christians, the Messianic Jews, because you gotta understand, there are Jews that believe Jesus was the Messiah. We refer to them today as Messianic Jews, and then there are Jews that don't believe Jesus was the Messiah. Okay, so there's two different tracks of Judaism, if you will. So the ones that believe that Jesus is the Messiah, every year on the, the anniversary date of the destruction of the temple, in the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, in the synagogue, Hebrews is read to show us, to remind us, we don't need a temple because Jesus is better, better. Everything about Jesus is better. He's a better way. Now, I'm gonna put something on the screen that may give some of you a panic attack, and if it does, just close your eyes. Um, I put it on Slack this week, and so I want you to see it because I don't know if you've ever met someone who can write poetry. Like, they feel like the Lord gives them a poem, and then they write it, and it's like, wow, man, the Lord just spoke to me through your poem. I believe that that's a gift of the Spirit that someone has where they can write Spirit-led poetry, okay? What we sometimes don't understand is that the writers of Scriptures sometimes do use those same literary styles when they're writing the Scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit in the exact same way. What you're looking at is what's called an inclusio in Greek. What an inclusio is, it means there's bookends. And if you look at Hebrews chapter 1, you will see that Jesus sat down and he, his enemies are going to be made his footstool. And if you go over to Hebrews chapter 10 on the other side, verse 12, he sat down and his enemies are made his footstool. Boom. So the main message of this letter is everything in between that. And the main message of this letter is that the atonement of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, is indeed sufficient once for all. It covers your sin. Totally. And then, if you see the, all the way over on the right-hand side, there's this little arrow that comes down. So as a result of my main message, therefore... Persevere in faith. Persevere in faith. Now, there's a whole lot of other cool stuff in this, like the promises up in the top. There, if you read those verses, you see the promises God has made. There's a warning in each section. There's a section here, and then there's a warning, and a section here, and a warning, and a section here, and a warning. But remind you, if you read this letter and it makes you feel like oh, heavy, you're not reading it right because this is an exhortation. This is supposed to encourage you. And so if you hear me preaching it and I'm preaching it wrong, just try to fix it in your own head because this should encourage us, not make us feel like uh, heavy, weighty. Uh. So there's all these warnings because warnings sound heavy, don't they? I mean, if you're warning me, oh, I'm scared, warning. Um, don't hear it that way. The warnings, are, they're good warnings. But Jesus is better. He's a better messenger than angels. He's a better humanity. He's better than Moses. He, he offers a better Sabbath, a better covenant, a better sacrifice. Better, 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 better. Love it. And so we want to look at this middle section. Because if you see right in the middle, there's something that the, the writer just alludes to that maybe we don't understand. And I want to look at it because it's the elementary teachings. I hope we're not going to have time to do anything else. That's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the elementary teachings. 
Here's, here we go. Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11, it's like an aside. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Now, what, what are they saying? What, much to say about what? In the context, what is being talked about is how they are living in the face of hardship, in the face of delay, in the face of hurt. And they are shrinking back from how they began this walk. And the writer is talking about how Jesus suffered and how God used that suffering to perfect him. I mean, like the perfect son of God needed perfected. But yet, in his suffering, he was perfected so that he could bring salvation to everyone. So we have more to say about this, but you're not, you're not trying even to understand anymore. You're letting your fear, you're letting your disappointment, you're letting your anxiety creep in and get you off track. By this time, you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Okay, righteousness means how I act toward God and how I act toward people. That's what the word righteousness in scripture is. How I behave toward God and toward people, okay? They're not acquainted with righteousness. So solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Now, here's the thing. We read this and we're like, I'm not an infant. There's nothing wrong with being an infant, okay? They're not, this, the author is not saying, you're an infant, shame on you, infant. It's not about that. If you need milk, nothing wrong with milk. What is wrong is when we equate maturity with something other than what it really is. So when we're in an infancy stage claiming maturity, that's the problem. We tend to think maturity is how long I've served Christ. We tend to think maturity is how many scripture verses I have memorized. We tend to think of maturity as uh, whether or not I can get like messages from the Lord and, you know, predict the future or prophesy certain things. That's a level of maturity. That's not a level of maturity. Maturity is how we live out the scriptures. Maturity is how I behave toward God and toward others, especially in hardship. Because they have excuses for why they can walk away from the faith, why they cannot press into obedience right now. And he's saying, wait a minute, you, you are claiming maturity, but you have missed the fundamental point. And then goes right into chapter 6, because you do know we added the chapters. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. We are coming back to this, but we're going to move on. Verse 7. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Okay, again, it's not what you know, it's what we do. It's not what we say we believe, it's how we behave. This is... If you drink in the rain, you can soak in the presence of God and drink in the rain. But if we are not producing fruit, there's no blessing of God on that. It's all about behavior. Oh, I know. Some of you are like, are you preaching works-based salvation? No. No. But you have to understand, that's the case that's being made here. Even though, now here's the, here, in case you're feeling condemned or, or heavy, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. We're convinced. We're not like, eh, 99%. We're convinced there are better things for you. The things that have to do with salvation, 
God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. See, they're not worthless. They're not, it's not that they're not doing anything. It's just that they're stepping back in a way that, that we want you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. See, it's not, oh God, I just hope for change in my family. You can't just hope for change in your family. You have to be the hope in your family. We can't just hope for change in our community. We have to be the hope in our community. We sometimes mistakenly pray, oh, heaven come down upon the earth. Church, we are seated with Christ Jesus today in heavenly places. And the Holy Spirit, the Godhead himself, is implanted in you as a down payment guaranteeing what is to come so that you can release hope in every hopeless situation. So don't get all worked up by hopelessness. Just start releasing hope. You are the hope of the world. And we've forgotten that because I know it's so hard. There's so much hardship and we're being suffering. These people are being persecuted. Look, you'll have to go and read it yourself. Hebrews 11 and 12. These people are being beaten. These people are being sought into. These people are being murdered. They're having things taken from them. And at the beginning, they suffered with joy. But the longer it went on, Oh, the harder it was. Can anyone relate to that today? I mean, when 2020 first started, oh, it was the year of breakthrough. God's going to do great things. And then in March, you know, we can handle this. We, God's got a plan. And then April, and then May, and then June, and then July, and then August. Oh, 2020 feels like it's been 17 years. We can relate somewhat to what's going on for this church. But it, what they do is take them back to these elementary teachings. So let's look at them. Therefore, let us get past. That word get past doesn't mean don't use them anymore. Do you understand elementary truths are not meant for just the sake I mean, you don't learn the ABC songs so that you just can sing a cool song. You learn the ABCs so you can form words, so that you can form sentences, so that you can communicate. So the elementary truths are not just things that you just learn randomly so that, you know, you can pass the time. They are the building blocks for what is to come. So the elementary truths of the kingdom of God are what is going to keep us as we progress in faith. And the writer takes for granted that these people know these elementary truths. We don't necessarily know them because what the apostles taught as elementary is not necessarily elementary in our American churches. They taught the gospel of the kingdom of God. Okay. Sometimes we get confused. The, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, same thing. And it's not up there. It's right here. And the only reason the authors use the words kingdom of heaven is because the name of God was so revered that they didn't want to say God. So you could say heaven and mean God. So where God dwells, heaven, kingdom of heaven. It's not like up there somewhere. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near you. It's within you, Jesus said. And we're looking up there, and we preach a gospel that says, hey, uh, Lord, forgive me of my sins so that when I die, I can come to heaven where you are. And that's not wrong. That's just not complete. And that is not the gospel that they taught. They taught repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So your sins are forgiven through repentance, Okay, that's where you get forgiveness of sins. And the moment we do that, who comes to live in us? God comes to live in us. So he's not up there, he's right here. And now I get to walk out my life on earth as his representative. And so the first elementary teaching, advancing us on into maturity, is the, the foundation 
of repentance from dead works. The foundation of repentance from dead works. Repentance does not mean change your mind. It means turn. Repentance means I lived this way and now I live this way. So everything about my life, I could have been a very good moral person. I could have obeyed all of the Ten Commandments. I could have been, but my overall aim for life is me. It's me. It's selfish. It's what's best for me. What's in it for me. I mean, I'll obey because I see the benefit for me. And a lot of us still ask Jesus for forgiveness of our sins, but we live mostly for me. And the gospel of the kingdom is a complete turn from me to him. How do I know whether I'm living for me or for him? Well, guess what is the best litmus test? Hardship and difficult people. When I go through hard times, do I trust the story that he is working for my good? Later on, the writer of Hebrews will say, endure the hardship as discipline. It doesn't mean that God is up in heaven dealing out problems for you so that you can be disciplined. That is not who he is. You, that's a lie. But the writer of Hebrews says, you're going to have hardship and you need to endure it as if God's disciplining you because God is using it to discipline you. He's using it to train you. But when we overreact to the hardship we're facing, it shows I'm still in it for me. Difficult people, if I can't do good to those who hate me, if I can't bless those who curse me, that's a litmus test. Oh, yeah, and see, when you preach, ask Jesus to forgive your sins and then just start adding moral things to your life, that's totally different than you were living for yourself and everything about your life was for you, but God's called you to go this way now. Repentance from dead works means whatever your list Paul covers this in Romans. I don't care what your list is. Ten Commandments, the law, the Torah, you know, some other, you know, list. You will always fall short of it. I will always fall short of it. We cannot, we can't do enough to earn our way into this thing. What we have to do is say fundamentally, I'm going in the wrong direction. Got to turn around. Got to go that direction. And I live in view of God's mercy, meaning Everything I do from this point on is because God has been merciful to me. And it's very hard for me to hold a grudge against someone else because I understand God gave me mercy. And the person I'm holding a grudge against doesn't need any more mercy than I got from God. And if I refuse to walk in forgiveness, blessing toward the person I'm holding a grudge against, still going this way. And I don't care what I claim. I don't care how many years I've served Jesus. I have been in the church for a, not a long time, 40, am I 45? 45 years. And I have watched in church after church and heard story after story of people that hold grudges for years. They attend the same church and they don't talk to each other. Right here they say foundation is repentance that way. The second thing, faith on God, not faith in God. We mistranslate this. They say faith toward God. Everybody has faith in God. I mean, we say it every day. It, you know, we say the Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God, indivisible. What does that mean? Does that mean that I am fully submitted to him and his ways and his will and everything to love my enemies, to bless those who persecute me? Or does it just mean when I'm in pain, I cry out to him? Or does it just mean uh, my list of sins, the things that I think are important, the things that I see? By the way, uh, your list and someone else's list are probably different, but I guarantee you that every single one of us misses the mark in God's list, which is here, and there are parts that we're blind to. That's why we need each other, so that we can work out our salvation together and we can become more like him, even though it's not our works, it's because of what he's did for us. So faith toward God is not the same as faith in God. Faith toward God means I trust him. It means I trust the story that you're telling. It means, hey, this bad thing happened to me today, but I trust you're writing a better story. 
It even means, you know what? I screwed up. I made this major mistake, and I, I repent. I, Lord, I confess this sin. I totally blew it. And I trust that you're even using that to write a better story for me. Not only for me, but for my spouse, for my kids, for my friends, for my coworkers, for my boss, for the president, for the world leaders, for dictators. God is writing a better story. We have trust in, for, toward God. That's what it means. Then he says the teaching about washings. Immersion. Okay, baptism was a normal part of the Jewish faith. They washed, they immersed in water all the time. They did it for purification. So this is not like some of us say, well, this was the instruction about the proper way to do baptism. No, they didn't need the instruction for the proper way to do baptism. They already knew how to do it. I mean, Jews know baptism. But by the way, there is an exception in the writings of the early church fathers that if water is not found to be available to submerge people in it, water may be poured on them for baptism. Oh, look at that exception right there. Um, because we get hung up on methods, and what they're actually emphasizing is not the method of baptism, it's the instruction part. What these early disciples wanted people to know before they were baptized is that you need to count the cost. Because you are being baptized, not in water, but into Jesus. Into Jesus' way of life. Into the Sermon on the Mount lifestyle. Into everything Jesus taught. You are saying, I realize I was going this way. I'm getting in the water here, and now I'm going that way. I am being raised to a new life. Okay? Brand new life. And then... You know, I'm, I know that sounds just like I just skipped over it. That's really important. But the laying on of hands, the laying on of hands. This was, after baptism, they would lay their hands on people because that's a signifying sign that you're ready to be discipled. So we lay hands on them. We lay hands on the sick. We lay hands on people to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We lay hands on church leaders. It was something that was a part, a foundational part, because they believed in the impartation of gifts, of power, of of what was in us because the oh Lord come down upon this person no 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 he's in me so I lay hands on you to impart what's in me upon you but what's in me is not because I'm somebody special it's because of his mercy and he gave it to me but I'm going to give it to you freely I have received freely I give now I know that some of you are like hey during COVID we can't lay hands on each other haha <laughs> Jesus Remember when they came to him and said, hey, don't come to my house, just speak the word. Speak the word and let it be done. Guys, we don't have to literally lay hands on people. You can speak the word. You have hope. Call your friend and speak hope all over them. You have hope. Speak life to your workplace. Don't come, oh Lord, I won't complain about my life today. Praise God. I don't know that song well enough to sing it, but we're grateful. And yet at work, speak hope. Speak life. Literally see yourself laying hands on your boss and just declaring hope over them. You know what? You can find something wrong with your boss. You can find something wrong with your spouse. You can find something wrong with anybody you want to look for. Or you can speak hope and speak life. This is a foundational part. And then the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgments. And the problem is we don't understand the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgments the way they did because we think of it as future tense. One day we're going to have resurrection. One day we're going to have eternal judgment. And God's like, the kingdom is now. Live in the power of the resurrection now, and all of this is written to remind them the gospel is about living this way. It's a total transformation of life. Live that way. And the hardships that you're suffering are meant to show you that you can live this out. You can, you can live the same whether things are good or whether things are hard. You can live the same with nice people or people who are jerks. You can do it because the deposit is in you. Be full of hope. So let's go to the end of, of Hebrews. I got two minutes. Look at, look at what Hebrews says to us here in Hebrews chapter 10. So they come to the end. Therefore, brothers and sisters, 
Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way, open through the curtain that is his body, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let's draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. You hear in these foundational principles? Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how me may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Why? Because that releases the kingdom. Jesus said it himself. Let your light shine before men so they see your good deeds and they glorify your Father in heaven. Release the kingdom. Give somebody a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. Release the kingdom everywhere you go. If we would just start releasing the kingdom, we'd change the world. We really would. I think we would. Does anyone else believe me? Besides Pastor Mark. <laughs> and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not let us consider how we may be nitpicky towards one another and point out each other's faults and flaws. Let's spur one another on to love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Why were they giving up meeting together? What if that person turns me in? What if that person turns on me? What if they're a spy? I gotta protect myself. I gotta protect my own. I'm scared. And it doesn't mean we have to meet in person. Let me tell you something. God can powerfully move on Zoom. God can powerfully move socially distanced. God can do whatever. He can. And we're, this isn't forever. One day we're gonna be back together all in the same room, hands raised, no masks on, shouting praises. But until then, let's just release the kingdom. This, no pandemic can stop him. It's just, just believe. Okay, remember those earlier days after you received the light when you endured a great conflict full of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were treated so. You suffered with those in prison and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Hallelujah. <laughs> what is wrong with these people? Why didn't they fight for their rights? I mean, they joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Can't take it with me anyway. Because you knew yourselves you had better and lasting possessions. Am I living for now? My possessions, my stuff, or am I living for that? If someone takes anything from you, I know somebody that's keeping records, and anything they take from you, Jesus is like, if they take your coat, give them your shirt. Don't withhold, because I'm going to replace it. Not on this planet, I'm going to replace it. Store up your treasure with God, not store up your treasure on earth. Which way are we living? Woo. So you need to persevere in a little while. <laughs> he who is coming will come and will not delay. Man, that is a crazy phrase. In a little while. Amy Grant used to sing that. In a little while, we'll be with the Father. Well, guess what? We're already with the Father. I'm seated beside him in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, and he is in me to remind me of that. And so I'm with him right now. I know we're going to get, someday it's going to be sight, but my righteous one will live by faith and will not shrink back. Remember, there's supposed to be an encouragement. And then they talk about Hebrews 11 and all these great people of faith. And some of them were amazing and they got great things. And some of them were amazing and they got killed. But God had something better in store so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So therefore, therefore, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, throw off what hinders, the sin that easily entangles us. Run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the pioneer, the perfecter of your faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
Because in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten his word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? My son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone that he accepts as a son. So endure hardship as discipline. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. This is some good stuff. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. It's interesting. That's the first thing on their list. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Guess what? There is pleasure in sin for a season. Don't sell out. Confess your sins one to another and say, I don't want to sell out anymore. I want to live for something better. I don't want this to take away. I want to live for what's coming. The last one, Hebrews 13. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality. You know, if you're worried about being turned over, showing hospitality is a big risk. But even in the face of this, don't forget to show hospitality. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those who are in prison as if you were together with them in prison. Those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. If you feel like you lack something, trust that he's writing a better story. Trust him. What can mere mortals do to me? Through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others for which sacrifices God is pleased. So there it is. That's Hebrews in an, as fast as I could do it. And you're going to need to read it again. Because we are in the midst of a Hebrews moment, I believe. We need to be reminded of these elementary truths and make sure we haven't bought into a gospel where we just get forgiveness of our sins so that we can go to heaven. When the, when the apostles preached repentance for the forgiveness of sins. See, when you repent, when you say, no longer my way, his way. No longer selfish, selfless. And that's the direction I'm gonna go. I'm not gonna make excuses or rationalizations. I'm gonna be imperfect. I'm gonna make mistakes, absolutely. We all are. But I'm not gonna excuse them so I can keep going that direction. When we do that, forgiveness covers atonement of sin once for all in that direction. This direction, we have a church right now that believes in America that I can walk this direction, just ask God to forgive my daily sins, but I can keep living for myself. I can keep living for the kingdoms of this world. I can keep living for me as long as I ask for forgiveness and as long as I do my best to try to keep the Ten Commandments. That's a lie. And then one day when I go to heaven, I'll, it'll just be good. And the beginning of the gospel is turn around and go that way. Go that way. And so I, I urge you, wrestle with the book of Hebrews and say, God, I don't want to go that way. I want to go this way. And find a group of believers to say, I don't want to go that way. I want to go this way. Help me figure this thing out. Help me walk that direction. Help me to give everything for the kingdom. That's what it's all about. And so, Father, we trust the story that you're telling. God, we trust that you're at work in our world. We trust that you have better things in store for every one of us. God, I pray for every person today listening in this room, listening online. God, I pray that every single one of us would wrestle with these elementary truths. God, that we would be sure that we just haven't 
asked you to forgive our sins and our mistakes, but God, that we have repented of the direction in which we were living, and we are turning to live for you. God, we are going to walk in the kingdom. We are going to live for the kingdom. We are going to have eyes for the kingdom. We are going to release the kingdom. God, we, we do not want to lay again a foundation of repentance from dead works. God, we can't get salvation by our own efforts. We need your mercy. God, we are at your mercy. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make us fully aware of the mercy that you have given us so that we can then offer our bodies to you as living sacrifices. God, so that we can live this out, that we can have faith towards you. God, that we can trust the story that you're writing, even when we're in the midst of hardship, even when we're faced with difficult people in our lives. God, you are writing a better story and we trust you in it. God, we're gonna trust you for the instructions of baptism. God, we have been baptized into Jesus Christ. We are no longer going to make excuses for our behaviors. We want to conform our lives to the image of your son and imitate him in every way. No more rationalizations. God, no more shame and guilt for where we didn't measure up yesterday. But we're gonna stand up and we're gonna walk towards righteousness, true righteousness towards you and towards our fellow man. God, we're gonna live this out in every decision, in every action, in every thought, in every word. We're gonna be relentless with this. God, we're gonna do this together. We're gonna believe not for the kingdom that's coming one day. We're gonna believe that you've brought us into the kingdom of the son that you love. And you have called us to be depositors of that kingdom everywhere we go, to release it over our families, to release it over ourselves and our lives. God, we're no longer gonna live for ourselves. We're gonna live for you. God, we're gonna release that kingdom over every member of our family. We're gonna release that kingdom over every part of our community. We're gonna release that kingdom over our state and over our nation and over our world. God, you are at work and we trust the work that you're doing. And so Holy Spirit, we speak life, we speak hope, we speak peace right now. God, to every member of Restoration Church, may we be fully aware of our identity as kingdom carriers. God, that we have been brought into the kingdom of the son that you love. God, that we have been given dominion and power to rule with you. God, not to cut each other up, but to speak life and hope and to encourage one another and just to, to press one another into love and good deeds. And so Holy Spirit, I pray for transformation in every one of the lives of the members of Restoration Church. I pray for transformation in Restoration Church. God, that we would be a people fully submitted to you, to your kingdom, to your ways, to your will. God, that our identity is rooted in who you've made us, not in our performance, not in how well we keep the list in our own heads, but God, whether or not we have surrendered our lives to you, we trust, Jesus, we trust that your blood was shed for us once and for all, and we will not live in the guilt of our past mistakes. We will not let shame dictate, but we will not let sin reign in our mortal bodies. We today will begin to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And God, we will encourage each other to run this race with endurance. Because God, I am convinced of better things for every member of this body. God, I am convinced of it, that you are gonna finish the work you started in me and in them and God, in this church and in this city. And God, we wanna be a part of what you're doing. And so God, I pray, help us. Holy Spirit, help us to live this out in every thought, in every word, and in every action, I pray. Whew. Father, I pray that you would help everyone today to absorb the wealth of information that I have downloaded to them. Forgive me for trying to download more than their brains can handle. But God, I don't care if their brains get it today. Holy Spirit, <laughs> everything that is me, throw it aside. And everything that is you is already implanted in them. Cause it to come to life. Cause it as they drink in the rain of your presence to produce a crop. God, 30, 60, even 100 times what was planted today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being here today and for uh, bearing with me. I love the book of Hebrews and I tried my best to not overwhelm you with it. Um, but... There are resources on Slack, and I encourage you to read the, the devotion with us this week as well. 
Um, we are having our business meeting right after service. And so if you want to be a part of that, uh, if you're a voting partner, you can stay where you are. If you need to use the restroom, you can. Our hosts are going to come and dismiss from back to front. We just ask that you social distance the best that you can. If you can't social distance, we ask that you consider wearing a mask to try to protect those around you. But stay and visit as long as you need. And give us a few minutes to get the stuff set up for the business meeting, and we'll start as soon as we can after that. God bless you as you go today.